And a lot of these people are coming from countries where it's not legal. So we're having people coming from India and Sri Lanka and stuff like that, where they can't get product and they're buying it here. So their level of understanding of cannabis is very low. As for locals, I've personally never seen a local in a shop buying cannabis ever. Um, that might be because majority of the time when I was here in February, I was going to tourist spots. Um, but yeah, even if I'd walked down Punawiti, I don't ever recall seeing locals in there unless they were you know, working in the store. So I would imagine that for many of the locals, they grow their own because you are allowed to grow your own. Um, and yeah, maybe they're again, buying directly from growers, but there's definitely a big barrier to entry. I mean, 500 baht is a lot of money. Though her career kickstarted in Canadian cannabis labs and grow-ups, Atiyah Faroz, founder and CEO of AgCan, has now turned her attention to Thailand, perhaps the cannabis world's most exciting emerging market, but one that's ultimately misunderstood from a compliance and regulatory perspective. We compare notes and find out more about the opportunities she sees there. Hello and welcome to the Lobster Pot Podcast. I'm Dave Barton. That man's Jamie Bonthron. Jamie, it's We've been to CBX, but it's been so nice and sunny, hasn't it? How, how did you find it? It has. We had the whole, you know, European continental dining experience, multiple nights in a row, sitting outside in the warm with, you know, the world going by and, and mm -hmm. I was grey and wet and rainy and horrible. And I am here for it in full. Yeah. Oh, man. Really? I just, I just love it. I've had enough of it already. I mean, I literally walked to work and it's like I jumped into a swimming pool. I'm that I'm still that wet. You know, it's horrible. Absolutely horrible. But, you know, I'm, makes me think of, and you go, this is my nice little segue, thinking of when I went on holiday to uh, to Thailand in the summer. I've probably not told people about this recently enough, but it was fantastic. And that's what leads me to our special guest today is Atia Farouz, who is the CEO of AgCan Consultancy. Hiya, Atia, how are you today? How is Thailand? How are things shaking out for you? I'm good. It's a balmy 30 degrees as per usual every single day, so can't complain. And whereabouts are you in? Are you in Bangkok? Are you sort of outside or thereabouts or somewhere else completely different? I'm just outside of Bangkok. I'm in a province called Patum Thani, which is the province right north of Bangkok, and I'm in the Rangsit area. Very, very nice. So, so, but you're originally from, well, you can tell us a little about yourself. You most recently were in Canada working in the cannabis industry, but tell us a little bit about how, why you've come to Thailand, what the opportunity is in the cannabis sector. Yeah, so I started my cannabis career in Canada, and that's where I lived majority of my life. Um, I started off working at several different facilities, and then I began AgCan Consultancy about three years ago. So uh, as part of that, I do a lot of consulting all over the world, which means I don't really have to be based in Canada per se. Um, the past two and a half years, I've actually done 50% of my time in Europe, 50% in Canada. So I started to realize I didn't need to stay uh, where there was winter any longer. So I decided to move down to Thailand after coming to a conference here uh, in Bangkok in February and just realizing that this is such a unique cannabis landscape that I wanted to explore some more. And what's the current current status of I mean because obviously it was made legal last year completely as I can recall it was kind of a case of all of a sudden okay we're going to make it legal here's a million plants we're giving away to everyone in Thailand should they say wish to have one and we'll worry about the regulation aspect later is it kind of that cut and dry probably never is but I'd be interested to get your take on it. That's actually pretty close to what happened. So they decriminalized and uh, basically it was a free for all. And I guess they kind of wanted to see like what would happen. It was it's kind of the largest scale cannabis uh, regulations experiment I've ever seen. And that's actually why I wanted to move here. I feel like this is 
a historic thing that's happened in the cannabis industry. It'll probably never happen again. I don't foresee any other countries deciding to decriminalize without, you know, a very strict set of regulations. So um, it's interesting for Asia. It's really interesting knowing the history of Thailand and how many people, you know, were in prison for years. When I came here five years ago, backpacking, I was, you know, using cannabis at the time. Uh, and somebody offered me a joint here. And I said, like, I are absolutely not. Like, I don't want to go to jail for the rest of my life. I was so frightened to consume cannabis while I was here. And then coming here in February and being here now and, you know, just smoking whenever I want and, and having edibles whenever I want. Um, I will add a little caveat to that. Edibles are actually technically not allowed, but you will find oh, really? them at every, yeah, there's a weird kind of small rules that are in place. Edibles technically are not allowed. Uh, Pre-rolled joints are not allowed. So a lot of the dispensaries will have a rolling period of time where they have someone on site just hand rolling joints for, for product mm -hmm. that you buy. They're not supposed to sell them as pre-rolls. Um, but there's very little enforcement as well. So despite the fact that there are still some rules, the enforcement is uh, very low at this point in time. That's interesting you say that because, uh, again, when I was there in the summer, I sort of tried to check out a few different dispensaries or went to a few different places. And I was because I was sort of traveling with my family, I just thought I'll just get some pre-rolls. And that's kind of what I, I lived off, so to speak, for, uh, for a couple of weeks. But absolutely everywhere. You've got edibles, you've got baked goods, you've got pre-rolls. I mean, how do you find it a sort of dispensary sort of culture? I mean, for me, it was very much this all feels very high end. It wouldn't be out of place in the US or Canada. How do, how do you perceive it from what you've seen thus far? Yeah, the dispensaries have the same kind of range that you would expect and I think even more so actually than what I would see in Canada. So I find that a lot of Canada dispensaries are pretty well put together. A lot of them kind of come on that more clinical pharmaceutical side. We see that in the US as well. And so Thailand definitely has those where, you know, it's all white, it's glass cases, stuff like that. And then you have shops, especially if it's located more in the southern parts or the beachy areas that are very like, I'd say Bob Marley-esque, you know, like very chill, lots of like wicker furniture, like people hanging out out um so it's got a nice variety and depending on the kind of feel you're looking for you can definitely find a shop that suits your personality and there are a lot a lot of shops yeah i mean i saw the most in sort of Koh Samui. i mean obviously because it's a tourist place you see them but uh i guess maybe i mean the only other place i went to obviously bangkok and chiang mai and we kind of stuck to the touristy places so it wasn't you know I was, we didn't kind of go in search of a lot of uh cannabis dispensaries but at the same time it's like it wasn't i didn't feel like there was from the places I saw, it was kind of in your face or anything like that. It felt quite sort of subtle and set back. It wasn't like, check this out, apart from Koh Samui. But again, that's a sort of different kettle of fish, I suppose, isn't it? But Yeah, so. in the more touristy areas, you'll see the cannabis sign spinners. Mm. So they're just like out there in that yeah. heat in like a little weed costume, spinning a sign, yeah. trying to attract customers. Um, but outside right. of and like Koh San Road, for example, super touristy, tons of cannabis mm. shop, lots of people trying to get you to come in. But uh, mm. otherwise, in like regular Thai life, I live near Puna Witi Station in Bangkok, which is kind of, uh, I guess, a bit more on the southern side. And so um, there were like shops all along the street, but they just blended in. You know, you just happen mm. to walk by, you'd see a neon site in the corner sometimes for cannabis or you'd see the word. Um, but there was nobody beckoning at you or calling at you. They're very much just part of the scenery at that point. You know, talking about tourists uh, looking at maybe the pricing of products there, how is the local culture around cannabis? Clearly, it's geared towards attracting tourists and having tourists come in and spend money. What's the the attitude toward cannabis like and, and how, I guess, how much of a barrier is the pricing of cannabis to locals who may be interested in, in trying cannabis or, or just are, are into cannabis? Honestly, the pricing here is crazy. Um, it's the most expensive cannabis I've seen for purchase. Um, 
in any country I've been to. So typically it's ranging from 500 to over a thousand baht, which in Canadian dollars, for example, is, you know, 20 to 25, I guess, to like $40. So um, it's very expensive. I've only bought, you know, retail priced cannabis when I came here in February. Uh, that was fine. And now that I came back and I'm living here, I'm buying directly from growers because obviously I, I know a lot of growers and I'm buying at the bulk prices because I just sustainably as a habit, I'm not I can't can't afford 20 to 40 dollars every time I want to buy one gram of cannabis. So um, it's definitely a tourist market. And what's really fascinating about that is um, I think that Thailand is so unique in so many ways. But because they have tourists who come and visit for two to five weeks and they change over, there isn't this really consistent group of consumers. There isn't really this uh, group of consumers that you can educate over time and like, you know, hope that they understand the product more and a bit better. Um, and a lot of these people are coming from countries where it's not legal. So we're having people coming from India and Sri Lanka and stuff like that, where they can't get product and they're buying it here. So their level of understanding of cannabis is very low. As for locals, I've personally never seen a local in a shop buying cannabis ever. Um, that might be because majority of the time when I was here in February, I was going to tourist spots. Um, but yeah, even if I had walked down Punawiti, I don't ever recall seeing locals in there unless they were you know, working in the store. So I would imagine that for many of the locals, they grow their own because you are allowed to grow your own. Um, and yeah, maybe they're again, buying directly from growers, but there's definitely a big barrier to entry. I mean, 500 baht is a lot of money. When I look at how much, you know, I pay, let's say a driver to take me from here, uh, where I live now, ranks it to Bangkok, which is a 45 minute drive. That's usually about 400 baht. So let's say in maybe an, that's an hour's wage for somebody to buy one gram of the, the lower quality cannabis. I'm talking like 500 is your not super great stuff. So if you wanted to buy high quality stuff, I feel like two hours worth of work is a lot of money to put towards, you know, one gram of cannabis. So um, I don't think it's priced for locals. I don't think that market is remotely targeting locals in any way whatsoever. It is a, I'd say, 95% tourism. That's interesting because when I, I remember going to the Chiang Mai market, the sort of night market to have food, and it was me and my wife and three kids, and we kind of ate everything we want. You know, it was about 500 baht for all five of us, and then went to the dispensary and uh, bought a joint, and it was, yeah, about the same price. <laughs> so again, you get the kind of comparison. It's like, well, and I had a chat with a few sort of local people. I mean, it's not research, it's kind of anecdotally. It's like, what's your, what's your take on the cannabis sector? And it's like, and the attitude I've got was broadly, yeah, it's just, yeah, fine, as long as kids don't really get into it because we don't want them to get high. And, and you know, I was like, you know, rather than challenge, it's like, okay, cool, I'm just really interested. But they saw a lot of value, the people I spoke to in the whole CBD market and things like that. So is that kind of what you've kind of heard being there on the ground as well for a bit longer than I? Yeah. And so, I mean, one of the great things about Asia is like they've always been a huge hub for alternative medicine, for plant based medicine, for herbal remedies. I mean, that is not something that's, um, you know, un 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 like foreign to them. Uh, there are a lot of big CBD brands. One of the big ones here, Dr. CBD, um, the gentleman who's in charge spoke at the conference I was at in February. I went to another cannabis event this past Saturday in Bangkok. He also spoke at that. Um, they're really heavily involved in what's going on with the regulations and stuff. And so, I mean, they have. I mean, probably 80 different products, you know, they've got them for psoriasis, they've got them for skin, they've got them for hair loss, they've got for anything you could think of. And so they have um, CBD, but it's mixed with other products as well. And one product, which I'd never heard of before is called Kratom. And it's a plant that's grown in Thailand. And it, it is also used for people who are suffering with pain and to also wean them off opioid addiction. So they have products that are mixed between the two that are kratom only. They have CBD products that have also turmeric and ginger and stuff inside. So 
what's really fascinating here is that we've seen a lot of CBD products in other countries and many of them are just CBD. They don't try to use other plant medicines or other things that are, are natural and then combine them together. So um, I think that's really fascinating what they're doing here. And I think that Asia will end up being a really large hub for kind of this herbal medicine, um, all these lines basically that are going to come out with not only CBD, but CBN, CBG, THC, et cetera. I think we'll see a lot more variety available in this part of the world. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear the sort of potential, certainly as you see it, in the region more broadly, not just in Thailand. I suppose what are some of the, maybe the, the challenges in terms of sustaining that market? You touched on them a little bit in that you have a real high turnover of customers and you don't really have a dedicated local market because people home grow or aren't interested. So what do you think maybe the problems that Thailand are going to run into? Maybe it's political, you know, maybe you could speak to that. So as of right now, again, with a kind of a lack of oversight and regulation and enforcement being very, very low, we see that we're going to have some changes. So, you know, Dave, you mentioned not wanting to have cannabis products in the hands of children. That is a very big point for the local Thai people. They want to make sure that kids don't have access to the product. So one of the things that I think will probably come about is what we have in Canada, child resistant packaging. So requiring that it's not something that you know, a child could open up on their own. Um, so I see that coming down the line. I also see that, to be honest, the way that Thailand legalized kind of the genies out of the bottle, and it's going to be almost impossible to put it back in. So I think the smart move would be to enact regulations regarding medical use, uh, being more stringent about the cultivation, sale and distribution of medical products. And, you know, recreational, I think they could maybe have you know, put some put some rules in place maybe and say, okay, look, you've got six months to a year to adhere to this or we remove your license for the dispensary for the grow. Um, but there's a lot of enforcement to do. They would have to, I think, hire an entire team of auditors and trained people to go out and do that work. Um, I know that most dispensaries do have licenses and most cultivators do have licenses because they were extremely easy to get. I believe the application process was done mostly via an app on your phone. Uh, and basically you could get one if you were looking to have a license as long as you had the right business set up. So um, there are, however, of course, people doing it illegally. There are, of course, big illegal growers or, of course, big dispensaries that are, are not running legally. So that's going to be a really big challenge for them. I also think that the price point is something that if they want to have a medical market, they're going to have to change that. The medical market is going to have to have a price point that local ties can afford and can use. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that goes. And the fascinating part for me is that the price point hasn't changed much since when I was here in February. It's gone down a little bit because we're in tourist low season right now. So mainly between November and I'd say March, it's kind of high tourism season. So I was really shocked. I thought the prices would have slashed in half throughout the summer when it's not that busy. So the bulk prices have actually dropped significantly from February until now, but the retail prices have not shown that same reflection in price point drop. Um, and again, this is anecdotal. I don't have any 100% certainty on it, but I've asked a couple of people, why have the retail prices not dropped? Because typically in Canada, when the bulk prices drop, the retail prices drop. And they said that because there's a lot of organizations who aren't on exactly the most legal side of things uh, being involved in the pricing and basically telling people they can't drop their prices because they want to keep their profit margins kind of where they are. And so out of um, you know, having to keep on par with everybody, all the dispensaries in the area are keeping their prices in the same range. And so the only person that's really affecting is that um, retail stores are getting a really high profit margin, but again, it's severely decreasing their local customer base. Um, so there's, there's something that has to happen there. I don't know how they're going to work that out, but there needs to be something that if recreational product is going to be targeted towards Thai people as well, uh, there needs to be a full overhaul on how the pricing is arranged and the profit margin that's in between a bulk to a retail sale. 
Absolutely. So, I mean, in terms of sort of the, the quality sort of standards as well, I mean, I know that's something you're quite passionate about and you're sort of working towards, but what do you think needs to kind of happen there, not just in Thailand, perhaps globally as well? Do you think do you think there's an opportunity to kind of really focus on that aspect of it, both locally and beyond? Yeah, so what I've heard so far is that they are going to most likely be enforcing GACP standards here for cultivation. Um, a lot of the growers that I'm talking to are getting their GACP certificates, uh, both for, you know, meeting potential Thai regulations and also a lot of them are exporting into Australia, uh, which now requires a GACP at a minimum. I don't foresee GMP becoming very big here in Asia. Um, I just I don't think that's going to be maybe the route that they go. That's just a guess on my end. So I think there's a lot of opportunity for um, other types of standard to come into play that are more specific to cannabis. So one of the projects that I'm working on right now is that we're launching an international cannabis quality standards organization, so the ICQSA. And the reason for that is that there is a large gap uh, kind of globally on how we're adhering to cannabis standards and what is the best cannabis standard to adhere to. So we had Canada roll out first with GPP, which is Canadian specific. Then we had countries in Europe come online with requirements for GACP and GMP. Australia has got their own TGA GMP, and now we have Asia coming online. And the fact of the matter is that not everyone is going to adhere to GMP. And to be honest, GMP is not a cannabis made standard. It's not something that's specific to this industry. It's specific to pharmaceutical. Um, and so that puts us in this weird gray area. What about recreational product that's not being treated as a pharmaceutical? Should we not still have guidance around how those are produced, right? And so I think a lot of the markets in Europe that have come online strictly from a medical focus um, haven't really thought about or haven't yet at least shared with everyone else their plan for recreational and what that looks like. And I still think there should be some sort of quality standard around rec. So um, we're getting together a group of cannabis industry stakeholders who are really knowledgeable in their own respective areas um, to design working groups and have them contribute to the development of best practice guides. And so that would be anything from cultivation to facility design um, to ESG as well as consumer packaging and labeling. And the idea is to make these best practice guides available so that emerging markets can use them as a basis for their regulations, so that existing markets can use it to lobby their governments and as use it as, hey, like this is why we want to change the regulations, you know, to look like this, because this best practice guide published by the industry suggests that we have, you know, these sort of things in place. And it's also, I think, just great because it's information that as a producer or cultivator or someone in that supply chain that you can look to as a guidance for what you should be doing in your own building. Very, very cool. I think there's a it's interesting that, you know, so many different kind of global standards in different countries. It's like how do you bringing it together into one sort of workable solution just seems like it's it's an inevitability, really, doesn't it? That's what I think. But more broadly, what do you think the opportunity internationally is for Thailand in terms of I mean, right now you've got China not too far away, but CBD is even illegal, you know. Uh, Japan's making noises, I think, around kind of medical legalization. I think Korea is too. I mean, surely those are going to be huge export market for the Thai uh, cannabis industry, right? Yeah, I mean, I've heard Japan is coming on for medical. I've heard some some rumblings along those lines. I've talked mm -hmm. to several people in Sri Lanka who said that their government is starting to look into it and looking for maybe some assistance in drafting their regulations. Um, I think that Thailand was, you know, it's always, you've got to be that first country. Canada was the first one in North America. Then the U.S. had some states come online shortly after that. Um, it, there's always got to be that one person that needs to take that foot forward. And I think for Thailand, um, with all the tourism as well that's coming in specific to cannabis, that 
that has shown a lot of a lot of other Asian countries who have tourism as a major industry that this could be something very profitable for them to look into. I think also the way that Thailand decriminalized has also shown some Asian countries that maybe they don't want to decriminalize in the same fashion to have a bit more regulation, a bit more rules. So really, this was like the pilot project. And Thailand's climate really allows for a lot of uh, options for doing outdoor or greenhouse grows, um, especially for producing biomass for these like products, right? So extracted products when you don't need to have, you know, craft quality flour, premium quality flour and that tight environmental control. This allows for a lot of outdoor and growing product and, you know, maybe a less sealed greenhouse uh, product that you can produce. And so Thailand is great for that. There's a lot of growing happening both in Chiang Mai in the north and I think the majority of growers are down south kind of in the Phuket area because of the climate. Um, we have humidity issues of course that need to be handled because Thailand can be very humid depending on the seasonality uh, but I think it'll end up being between the cost of labor here and the weather it'll be one of the bigger hubs for the production of that biomass that would pump into countries like Japan, China eventually when it comes online and go into extraction, distillation and, and greater finished products. I also see Asia being a very big leader in skincare because they always have been and so I'm waiting to see a lot of you know CBD and THC skincare products from I mean, maybe even big lines like, you know, the huge brand names would be amazing. Um, it would be really cool if you would go to one of the more premium lines and pick up a product uh, from Shiseido that has like THC inside of it or something, right? Um, but I think that'll be an area that Asia is really a, a big uh, player in because there's no one else in the world that does skincare like they do. No, that's really cool. I, mean, I think there's, it certainly seems like it's not just, you know, the sort of flower product category, like you were saying, it, it seems, I mean, even going into like the 7-Eleven in like, you know, randomly, there's all cannabis infused beverages. I mean, it didn't look too great, but, you know, sort of blue bottle and like, but still, I mean, you know, it was, it was, it was there and, and it was interesting to see how it was kind of been embraced from nothing in just one year. Do you know what I mean? From, you know, from legalization to now. And I think, I mean, what do you think will happen in the next couple of years for Thailand? Do you think it will be kind of, you know, focusing on sort of quality standards or export? What, what do you think is the sort of, you know, low hanging fruit in terms of opportunities? Definitely quality standards. Um, and I think exports going to really heavily depend on what countries they're going into. I don't see a lot of export from uh, Thailand to Europe because of the GMP requirement. Uh, GMP is also a significant barrier to entry. Uh, I do GMP consulting and it can cost a lot to do your construction the way that it needs to be done for airlocks, for HEPA filtration, things along those lines. So, um, you know, the thing that's really interesting about the cultivation here is that there was no barrier to entry. So anyone can be cultivating and the cultivation can be as small as, you know, a 4,000 square foot facility or it can be as big as a 300,000 square foot facility. So um, I'm very curious to see how they bring cultivation regulations in play and how that affects the type and size of the cultivators and how much of a barrier to uh, you know meeting these regulations is going to happen. Um, I can see Thailand being big for export uh, just because, again, the cost of labor and things like that and people wanting uh, biomass and flour that's cheaply produced. But one thing I will note is that Thailand actually has very expensive power. So indoor facilities, uh, very surprisingly, I think it'd be more expensive uh, from a power standpoint to run an indoor here than it would be in Canada. And so, yes, you do have that trade-off with the labor, but you have to look at some of the other prices and stuff that are there. And then also with the infrastructure in Thailand, looking at where your facility is located to make sure there's not power cut off, water cut off, things like that. So um, definitely seeing uh, 
more regulation happening for sure over the next year and that you know allowing for some export but it'll be really interesting to see how the other asian markets come online and whether or not they will try to enforce things like you know a gmp level standard and whether or not that will cut out thailand if they don't want to you know match it's very it's going to be a, like a weird landscape to navigate um i really don't know if those kinds of markets are going to be targeting more europe like japan and stuff like that and therefore wanting these higher quality standards from what i've seen right now it looks like thailand is kind of servicing thailand and the tourists and the thai people first and then looking at export maybe in the longer term year year and a half Excellent. Well, it certainly sounds like it's going to be an interesting ride. So uh, wish you all the best of luck with it. And thank you very much for coming on the show. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thank you. All right. We will catch you soon. Take care. Cheers. Thanks. Bye. Bye.